And my head is strong It's hard for me to say I'm sorry sometimes when I'm wrong But hold me down, I'll come around But only if you want me to be like that photograph I've said too much G'day, welcome to the Life After Jet podcast About the lives and careers of the Jet alumni community with me, Eden Law So my name is uh, Julius Payne uh, I, I run photography tours um, as part of my business and I'm also a freelance photographer. In past episodes on this podcast, I've spoken to people who have turned their passion or hobbies into a career. For my next guest, Julius Pong, he turned photography into his career and one that made him internationally recognized with awards and prizes. Seriously, go look up his LinkedIn profile or better yet, his portfolio. In the last two years, he took a step further and formed his own photography-based tour group. With my occasional co-host David Rowling, we talk to my mate Pong and how he got started. Else, but only if out all over town. I'm lonely as my one to be in that photograph. I've said too much I can I really got to as a as a hobby this initially when I uh, traveled for Japan for the first time and uh, that was back in uh, 2003. And then when I was on the jet program, uh, I sort of did it more as uh, a serious hobby, like, you know, I guess typical amateurs, um, you know, you buy a bit better camera, start getting a couple of lenses, um, you know, start taking some photos of whatever's interesting um, where you live. And uh, after jet, uh, I came back to Perth and one of my, um, a good mate of mine, he was actually already shooting um professionally and uh, had been doing that for a couple of years and he just got me on board as an assistant for his oh. various shoots and it just progressed from there so i got started getting more experience um you know in professional uh setting and uh eventually i was shooting on my own um for several events and yeah, i guess that's where i made the made the um i guess a leap from doing it as a hobby to doing it um you know professionally you were a web developer or web designer before. Well, yeah, you, yeah. you were working as a web designer before you went on Jet, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I did that for um, about a year because I just finished my degree, and then um, yeah, I guess I was biding the time before I went on Jet. Um, and then after I came back from um, from the Jet program, I was actually working full time as a web designer for several years, um, mm. only doing photography uh, on the side, mm. uh, and then. In 2012, yeah, that's when I fully went to um, photography and um, I guess uh, uh, finished off the web design career. You run photo tours to Japan, and have you been there recently? And have you been? Um, yeah, I uh, I got back uh, end of April, and that was uh, on this trip. It was three months away, um, and the tour part that I ran was for two weeks um, during the peak of cherry blossom season. Yep, so I was actually away for that long because, um, first off, in February, uh, I was doing a scouting tour, um, like a research trip um, in, in Hokkaido, uh, because I'll, I'm planning to run a winter tour um, for next year. Um, and then I had to go to a jet conference, um, and Eden, thanks to Eden, I, I was recommended um, as a speaker there, and that was very interesting. Me again, Julius is talking about the Afterjet conference, where past jets are invited to give talks and run career seminars on their professional industries for final year jets. I really enjoyed it when I did it. 
If you're interested in getting involved, well, why not start talking about your career on this podcast? See what I did there? Your photography work required、yep. a lot of patience.、Uh, I imagine that that's something. It's a discipline that. You had to develop that was required as part of your profession. It seems like yeah.、Um, yeah. At least this is with、uh, landscape and travel、um, photography. You find that the more time you can spend,、um, the the better your results will be. So,、um, yeah, learning how to pay attention to details and learning how to see a scene and also visualize the potential、um, definitely helps you improve your photos. So、um, that's what I try to teach. Uh, my clients on tour,、um, you know, especially the amateurs, I say, look, if you want to get the kind of shots that I'm able to get, even though I'm exactly on the same、um, tour and doing the same itinerary as you, you have to watch how I shoot and observe. And I, and then sometimes they're amazed that I'm literally just standing, you know, or just camping out in the same spot for you know twenty, thirty minutes. And I say, this is how you get the shot、um, that you see. You're like. That I put on the website, or、um, you know, that you see in like my award shot.、Um, yeah, it's a lot of patience. If you're lucky, you'll you'll get it straight away, and the scene just pops into view.、Um, if you're not, you might have to be waiting around, and nothing happens. And I've had that happen many, many times. So、uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's just discipline in in terms of、um, that that kind of、um, shooting, and、uh, a lot of people don't want to do that, and that's why. That their shots that don't get the kind of shots that they, I guess, they dream of or they they envision. It's all about patience. Patience, yeah. And this is why for landscape guys, you know, we're we're the silly ones that get up before before well before the crack of dawn just、yeah. to photograph this very short time period. Um, you know, as the sun comes up and you know twilight um ends, and you know stay. Hours on end、um, in the same spot just to wait for you know clouds to move and and that kind of thing. When you start out in the photography business, you、mm. obviously didn't start out thinking、oh, I'm going to make my living photographing trees and mountains. No. So how did you transition into? How did you、um, make that jump? Yeah. Uh. Well, um. I, I, st- I still don't think I make my trees photographing. I, I still don't think I make my living photographing trees and mountains. But、uh, at least with my my photography tour part, that's um you know that kind of. Those shots are what helps sell my tours.、Um, uh, making a jump from, like, say, hobby to、um, like professional work,、uh, it's like many jobs.、Um, it it stops being fun, I think, and starts being much more.、Um, I have to start shooting not so much for、uh, not so much what I like, but what、um, the client likes,、uh, what sells,、uh, what is better for marketing purposes. So.、Um, The stuff I do, say for fun, is quite different from say what I do,、um, you know, to promote my tours and and so on.、Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a different different. It's a pa- bit of a paradigm shift because、uh, you have to start thinking、uh, less about what you want to shoot and more about、um, yeah, like well, yeah, you have to shoot a bit. You have to start thinking about what the client wants, not what you want. <laughs>、um, and then even for my own business, it's about. Okay, I want to take this kind of shot, but for what I need to show on my website, it has to be something different. There's certain photos that I can't put on my my say my、uh, photography tour website because I know that my clients wouldn't be able to get the same shot. Right. So, so you have to yeah. manage expectations because if they yeah, yeah. that photo, they say, "Why can't I get that?" Um. So certain shots like that, I I say put on say for my let's say I've won awards with, um, I wouldn't put them up on my my own. Um, tour website because that kind of shot would be impossible for my clients to get unless they are willing to spend the amount of time I spend on my own personal projects.
how do you maintain, I guess, that balance? Because he said it, when it goes from something that's a hobby that you like and you enjoy to work. There's certain photography gigs, for example, that are straightforward, um, easy to shoot. And in those kind of cases, I like to think, okay, look, I can be a bit more creative and play around after I've gotten what I need um, like for the client. And then let's muck around a bit um, for a bit of fun. Um, and then other ones where it's just like, you, you just don't really want to be there and you just have to shoot it and you just, just have to get through it and just deliver according to the brief. Um, so it's not different from any other job where there's days where just they just fly past because um, you're enjoying the work, um, you know, it comes easy to you. Other days where you have to really battle through because, um, yeah, it's just not, not the right day for you. Um, yeah, even, again, uh, my other friends um, in doing different genres, uh, they, they have the same issues. Um, some days go really, really smoothly. Others, it's just like, okay, I don't want the day to end. I need to just um, get through it. Um, next shot, just get work on that, focus on that next shot after that and so on. I'd say, okay, from my experience, let's say um, an area I'm not so good in uh, wedding stuff. I don't do many weddings. Um, uh, I, I find that, yeah, I have to concentrate very hard on those. Um, I have to work really hard in terms of, um, you know, composition. Um, I have to often refer to, uh, I guess, a cheat sheet of certain kinds of shots I've seen before that I want to deliver from my clients. Um, whereas say my friends who, you know, find wedding photography really fun and easy, um, that's all ingrained in their head. Um, they enjoy that kind of photography as their first and foremost um, favorite kind of photography. Um, whereas for me, it's much more down the, down the, you know, down, down the scale of things I like to do. So why did you decide to start your own business? Well, that's a tricky one. I, I guess for me, it was also, um, was wanting to, have a bit more control over, you know, I guess what I did. Um, so when, when I say switch, when I jumped from um, my web design career to doing photography, um, at the time uh, I was working in a corporate uh, web design job and I'd reached a level where, um, you know, I was already the scene, uh, one of the senior designers there um, and there was no further uh, mm like career progression. There, there was no other higher position there. Um, they don't didn't have like a, you know, design director or, a, you know, web design, um, I guess, um, leader position um, in the organization. Um, they might do now, but I don't know. Uh, so at, I, at the time I'd reached the point where that was the highest I could go with in terms of my um, design career, at least in that company. So it felt like the right time to, um, you know, I guess, try something different. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd seen my, my friend, uh, you know, in his photography career doing well. Uh, and I thought, okay, I could do this as well. Um, uh, that said, from when I did start my, you know, photography business, uh, it wasn't easy and it's still not easy. Um, you have to, you work a lot harder <laughs> compared to a full-time job. Um, and, you know, you constantly have to, you know, get your work uh, out there and, you know, promoting yourself. Um, and that's also the case with my, my travel, my tour business. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of times where I, I think, oh yeah, the, the, you know, desk job, nine to five regular hours, um, weekend free, that kind of thing is very attractive, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it, uh, for the world. Um, I think I've learned a lot about myself, uh, also doing my own business, um, and running my, running things by myself. So, um, I definitely, I think like the control, um, of my own time, my own jobs, um, that, that aspect. Did you have an idea of how you'd start your business? 
yeah, uh, with my, my tool business I did, um, I actually did this program uh, called the New Enterprise Initiative Scheme, or NICE for short, uh, which is an uh, Australian government-funded program. And basically, uh, if you're unemployed, uh, you can tap into this program and um, get some government assistance um, and actual money, uh, like in terms of the, in the form of the new start allowance um, mm. to help start up a business. And uh, oh. as part of, yeah, as part of that program, you get uh, free training um, through an approved uh, training organization. And that goes through basically small business essentials. So you learn about business plans, um, finance, health and safety, marketing, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah, and that, again, that's that's all paid for for you. Um, you just got to complete the program and then um, get your business going uh, and you get an allowance, you know, each fortnight uh, to help, I guess, realise um, your, your small business. So that, that was really helpful for me, um, at least to get the tour business going because there were uh, several costs I needed to, you know, to account for, you know, things like insurance, um, setting up, you know, new business name, website, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, the, the the bit of money that, that was provided was very useful in, in that aspect. So how do you go about setting up the networks and connections for your business? For example, you've made connections with Okia or Geisha establishments. Yeah, that, that, took, a, that took a lot of research. Um, uh, and I did. I managed to find um, somebody in Japan um, who was able to, uh, to, to, I guess, connect me with the Geisha world. And it just happened to be, luckily, the, the first time. And, you know, because there were a few people that, that said they did that. Um, and I've just stuck with the, the first person I, I found that. And she's always been, uh, you know, um, solid and a great contact and, and a friend now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Ask a lot of questions. Um, if you find a few people, then you've got to, you know, back and forth, find out um, if they're the right fit for you as well. With the, the geisha world, um, you can't just, for example, walk into a tea house and, um, <laughs> you know, have dinner and be served by a geisha. It's, it's, it's a case of you have to be introduced into the tea house um, by somebody who's already a, 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 um, a regular customer. Um, so basically, they're responsible for making sure that you're a um, I guess a, a reputable <laughs> new client um, for the tea house, um, and that's how it's, it's it's worked since you know Geisha started, you know, back in the Edo period. How many tours uh, have you ran to Japan so far? Uh, the first one was twenty fifteen in, um, in in autumn, so that's what one, two. Oh, hang on, I'm losing count now. So it's only been <laughs> in the um, the the the, uh, the busy period, so autumn and, and um, cherry blossom season. So that's four now. How many people do you have per tour? Between two and uh, up to eight. So the next tour I'm running in in um, this November for autumn, um, I have a full group of eight people. Um, and also that, that'll be a full group of eight very diverse, um, you know, sorry, eight people from various parts of the world. So America, um, Switzerland, Australia, England. Yeah. So, wow. so it's a good mix from internationally. So what are the challenges you found so far running a tour company? I think uh, the most difficult has been um, when I've had a group where you have members who have um, very different shooting styles and different shooting speed and different expectations of time. So some photographers, all they want to see, like say on my tour, is they just want to go to the location. They're happy just to take a few snaps um, and then they want to move on. So that basically they're just there um, just to take the, the, the photograph, but they're very good at taking photographs. So they know that, okay, I'll just get this one shot that I really want to take and then that's enough for them. Other photographers 
I literally want to spend half a day at say one temple um, wow. and you know wow. just explore yeah. like me basically you know kind of thing so they want to explore every angle um, maybe soak up the atmosphere a bit more of the place um, you know if it's going yeah. to be just Somebody might want do. to be lying down a, long, a tripod for like a long exposure while the Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's you, you, you nailed it right there. Um, so balancing those two extremes um, is a challenge. And it's those times where I have to be a um, bit of a mean bastard and like drill sergeant and say, look, this is how it works. Um, I know, you, for example, the quick shooters, um, I know you guys want to move on, but um, we need to, you know, make sure we spend um, a fair amount of time for the guys that want to spend a bit longer here and then for the you know these guys spend yeah, sorry spend forever here i say look guys um i know you really like this place but we've got to keep moving otherwise we can't complete the itinerary as we've planned so um it's balancing those two extremes has been probably the most challenging um the other one is whenever there's been any sort of a health or a mm. an injury um, problem um, i'm always very very careful to make sure that I don't overexert my clients because I have a fairly active itineraries for my tours, and yeah, my my I'm always happy if clients don't get sick um, or don't get injured. <laughs> so um, cherry blossom tour last year, um, one of my clients, uh, a couple, um, the wife actually arrived in Japan very very sick. Um, she had oh, eaten no. some um, she had eaten some dodgy tuna sandwich, I think at. At, at an airport and then yeah, it was very ill on the plane and then um when it came time to meet up um they were very late coming to to the meetup point and i said oh what, what's uh, you guys okay and then the husband was just saying on oh, like my wife's just throwing up and you know we you know she won't be joining us like you know early on so i said okay we'll meet up later but um yeah but at least i said later it wasn't because of the, the japanese food or the hotel food it was something before <laughs> i should ask what goes into planning a tour with the tour, first and foremost, um, I need to have already been to all these locations beforehand. So there needs to, the tour needs to have been scouted, um, like for the locations at the same time that um, people want to visit. I, I, cu I couldn't, for example, just plan a winter tour unless I've actually been there in winter. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's the first step, and you know that has to occur obviously the year beforehand. That, that research part is is very time consuming, and um, it delays having to you know start a, a new tour because I have to know what the conditions are like you know during this season, during this event, um, and so on. Um, so that's a big part of it. The next is timing. So while I'm scouting, I guess uh, you know planning like an itinerary i have to um work out realistic timings for visiting places um transiting between you know locations like via train bus um private taxi whatever and then organizing uh, i guess hotels and and uh, various tickets i mean i don't handle like um air ticketing um so that's all my all my clients do um but everything else um yeah that i organize that for for the tour at this stage i don't um visit locations which require a significant like um amount of private transport uh that might be uh, that might be something i do for future tours um and it's 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 on the cards um that brings us more that brings more logistical problems because uh you need um you know private transport maybe hire a driver and, and so on um so at this stage i don't don't need uh, a huge amount of private um transport you'd need a fairly big car to transport eight people <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but with eight people, you're looking at a coaster bus, um, uh, you know, for at least comfort, um, you know, enough space and comfort for, for luggage and personal space. So, so yeah, that, that's a bit more difficult there. <laughs> What's been the most surprising thing about your clients? They've always been just surprised when they realize uh, just how incredibly um, dense and busy Japan is. Uh, so they'll go into the subway and then I'm busy leading them through. And uh, one, one comment I've always gotten is like, um, from, from, you know, all of them is, uh, I, we'd never be able to get through the subway ourselves. Um, and that's part of, you know, um, them, for example, not usually going by public transport. Um, so yeah, it's all new experience. And I say, well, this is how people go about their daily lives here in, in this country. And uh, I, I have to say, look, we're, we're just very lucky in Australia. We've got a lot of space and room to move. Um, so I so, say yeah, that's probably been the funniest thing when, you know, people just are just shocked at seeing, like, like say on the Yamanote line in, in Tokyo, um, people getting, you know, pushed onto the train in, in Pikau and they're just going, well, what the hell's going on here? And uh, I just go, yeah, this is, this is every day in Pikau. <laughs> Yeah. Um, other things, other things like, um, um, oh, I've I've had one instance where uh, one one client um, managed to get separated from our group, and that was a bit of a panic moment. And oh, no. it was it literally she she literally um, we lost her literally because she turned her head like one way, decided to take a photo with her phone. Um, you know, despite the fact that I had said, look, we got to make sure we keep moving, and then yeah, just. We just disappeared in a crowd of people going into a subway and uh, into a subway station. And then uh, when someone even then said, like, well, we're waiting to the station, oh, she's not behind us. I was going, oh, shit. And then <laughs> had the track back and, and go locate her. And then, you know, I found this client and she was crying and stuff. And I said, look, thank God you just stayed where you were. At least I could find you. And then I said, what happened? And then she said, oh, I was just looking one way and then took a photo and then you guys were gone. And I said, okay, yeah, that's kind of what happened i didn't want to say look it's your fault but um you know i said look yeah i'm sorry i didn't see you but you know uh, yeah you shouldn't have taken the photo should have kept moving um most of my clients are actually in in the baby boomer age range so i, I love those kind of clients because the, um it, it's uh they they like a slow pace of travel as well um and also um for, for them uh it's a bit easier for me to, to handle their requirements. So I think younger travellers can be a bit more demanding, um, especially because they're, they're a bit fitter and they maybe have uh, less disposable income to, to spend on things. So, uh, yeah, oh, the older travellers are great. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy yeah. them as, as clients. So They're slower and they have more money. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it comes down to, to be honest. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, what would you tell someone who's thinking about going to photography as a career? Be realistic about it because um, people. Th I think a lot of the, the. I think a lot of people think you know get a nice camera, they suddenly take some shots and they suddenly get complimented by family and friends and whatnot, mm. um, and they think they can you know, do some jobs for you know to get and get paid for some jobs, and the reality is. Um, they can't. <laughs> um, it, it, when you start shooting professionally and especially with. Um, with um, demanding clients, that's when you learn that, okay, um, I really need to up my game. So the, I think the first and foremost, if you're looking at, at wanting to do photography as a, you know, in a professional, for professional um, uh, paid work and, you know, as a career, um, you should get a um, realistic um, look at what's involved. So finding, for example, a mentor or at least 
tagging on with a pro for a day or so and, and seeing what goes on in a day-to-day shoot um, in the kind of field that you want to um, shoot in. Uh, and that opens up a lot of, I think, you know, uh, you know, it opens up people's eyes um, to what's what's expected of a professional photographer. Um, second is, I guess, um, people go into this job uh, with not enough business and marketing knowledge. So this is where the a common complaint of, um, you know, amateurs undercutting um, professionals' work, you know, comes comes about. And it's, it's very, very valid because um, there's a lot of very good amateur shooters who, you know, um, they they charge you know just for example um, some some money just to maintain their hobby. Mm. And that really really is not pros hate that because um, you're undervaluing your own work first of all, and second like you you're just killing the industry in terms of um, you know denying a professional uh, a, a, a gig. Um, like for example, we if you if you had to do your own job um, and somebody came along and and did it for free. Uh, or did it for just a yeah. pittance, right? How would you feel about that? And that's how photographers feel about, you know, um, a lot of, um, you know, amateurs who are charging for their work but not charging at a professional rate. So um, so that that's that's one complaint. Uh, so, yeah, it's I think um, what a lot of misconception is that it's easy to make money from photography. Um, it's definitely not. Uh, you have to work very, very hard. Um, you have to learn to... Um, be much more proactive about um, selling your own work. So um, that's actually quite difficult for me because I'm much more introverted. I don't like to uh, talk a lot about my work. Um, so it comes across very difficult for me to say, oh, look, my work is really good. And you got, you got to talk yourself up. It's, it's basically, it's classic sales. And, uh, you know, if you're not a natural salesperson or you don't have that experience, then it, it, it's um, you just have to work at it to get better at it. Um, and that's probably been the hardest thing for me, uh, just getting um, getting better at the sales and the marketing side. Um, so, yeah, the shooting uh, I'm okay with. I, I can learn new things with shooting. I enjoy you know, learning different things about the photography side of things, but from the other end, the business um, is not as fun. <laughs> so, uh, so you're always still learning. If you're an amateur and you think, okay, now's the time to go pro, uh, what are the things one should consider? First of all, if you're going to start charging for your work, you've got to make sure your portfolio is um, is top notch. Mm. Um, you shouldn't expect to charge like a certain, say, particular rate for that you see in um, some professional photographers charging, unless your work is just as good as theirs. Um, that said, though, um, if you're able to market the hell out of your work and sell your work for whatever price you want, um, that's great. That's even better. So yeah, I just said, look, you've got to get your work up to scratch. Um, you've got to learn the business of photography, the business of sales, the business, you know, all the marketing side of things. Um, that's equally as important because um, you can be a very average photographer, but as long as you can sell your work, doesn't matter. So that was key. And then um, I guess also a lot, I saw a lot of uh, these guys I talked to, um, they just needed more confidence. Uh, they just they were just unsure, oh, is my work good enough? And I said, well, you don't know un- until, you know, you put it out there. Um, you start dealing with your first clients um, who've obviously seen your portfolio. Um, so start charging for it and then um, go from there. Um, learn as you go um, as well. Mm. And then my last bit of key advice was um, you find a mentor that uh, that's done it and can um, provide solid advice for you so you don't have to make um, mistakes and learn the hard way. So, uh, yeah, if I could repeat my journey, I guess, getting into photography, it'd be um, find a, you know, better mentor or more mentors that I could draw 
uh, more knowledge from, and um, uh, especially with the business side of photography, um, and uh, and go from there. So so yeah, you can. It's it's a case of just uh, um, doing all these things. Um, um, you know, in a systematic way, and um, to get you off to the best start. All right. Thanks to Julius for taking time out from his busy schedule to talk to us. We'll put links to his work online on our SoundCloud. If you want to hear us talk more about photography, keep on listening. Catch you next time. Bye bye. You mentioned trends before. So, what exactly is the Hot in thing now. I mean, I, I, don't know what. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say a hot in thing, but for example, um, let's say in travel, you might notice uh, at least at least I've noticed, say in the um, Australian Professional Awards, uh, you might find, for example, um, like, like say in particular years, um, a lot of aerial shots get submitted for say a landscape um, like category, um, and then the next year, you know that it's probably not a good idea to enter the aerials, you know, if you want to do well in those kind of awards. Mm. Um, other things like certain um, editing styles, um, maybe this is more so for um, portraits and weddings. Um, you know, one year you might find a lot of um, black and white or, or tone work um, compared to other years. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of thing pops up um, and, you know, you, you learn and see from other people what they've done and, you know, maybe you can integrate it into your own work, um, yeah, for future use. Yeah, it's like the, what, the HDR-style photos for real estate, or Yeah, 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 um, that, that kind of thing. That was a that was a fad for a while and, um, I mean, I think people still do that, but uh, I guess for, for awards-type work, you don't see much of HDR because it, it doesn't come across as very creative, to be honest. And not realistic. You still see it here in like some of the ads, just walking around down the yeah, street. Yeah, I guess HDR has its place, but I think it's more um, don't overdo it. Um, so I guess when you see like really top, say, landscape and uh, and travel work, the the first thing you notice about it is not the H. It's not HDR. Um, whereas if you have HDR as a focus, you notice, oh wow, it's really HDR. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awards type work tends to be like you go you look at the photo and you think oh wow you know i'm there or you know you get a sense of the place um rather than the technique of the shot so yeah it conveys the feeling and the mood and um i guess the communication aspect is much stronger um versus oh wow it's a hdr shot <laughs> you think of photographers who drop thick skies into photos uh, i guess it's a it's a used technique in um, a lot of landscape stuff. My personal feeling for that is that it indicates a photographer hasn't gone the extra mile for the shot. Um, mm -hmm. It indicates um, a lack of time to do the shot. So basically, and I, I've seen this with Jap Japanese, like, uh, sorry, with um, classic photos of Japan. So the classic one that's it, it's been done a lot with, um, and every photographer tries to get, it's a shot of Mount Fuji with cherry blossoms and the Chiroto Pagoda. So that's a very classic, iconic shot. Yeah, it's actually yeah. a very, very difficult shot to get right. And I've only got that right this year. And after that's after four separate attempts over three wow. years. But the guys that, that resort to dropping in skies because they couldn't get the right sky for that day or... I feel it cheapens a shot, especially if they're selling like a landscape shot because my, uh, my preference for um, landscape shots is um, in-camera captures. So... Mm -hmm. 
getting it as much as possible in in the in the shot rather than having to resort to compositing elements into the shot um because i want to feel that somebody was there at the time and saw that scene and managed to capture that scene yeah so my my preference is i don't like that kind of photography where you composite stuff but at the same time it's an an accepted part of landscape photography um and that's where you know it you come the argument comes into like it's becoming art and this is commonly occurs even in the australian professional photography awards um a lot of the landscape entries um involve a lot of compositing work um and some of them score very very highly and win awards um uh and that's fine uh, it's part. It's part of the rules. Uh, that's accepted. But um, nowadays, there's there's a move towards at least uh, when the judging occurs to uh, identifying whether the shot is a composite or it's a single capture. Um, and you know that's that's been a long time coming. So um, yeah, because the guys who do make the effort to to shoot single capture like, like myself, um, we we can tell when certain shots are obviously a composite because uh, we know the effort that's required to better get a certain shot so if something doesn't looks like it was truly exceptional like you just happen to be in the right time right place at the right time mm. and this looked perfect we just we are on the side of okay probably a composite uh, and then if it was a single capture then wow you've done an amazing job <laughs> so that, that's my personal viewpoint but other other photographers might think okay no i i have no issue with dropping skies in but um <laughs> at least for um what i promote with my own photography my own tours um it has to be as much in, cap- in camera and um, capture as possible and i have a policy of if i've composited a shot i'll actually say look this is just um you know me playing around and um you know yeah, trying so composites and I, i'd call it in that case this is my interpretation or my um sort of artwork uh, of this scene um kind of thing yeah Back in the days when I was a keen amateurist, uh, I came across people who regarded any human interference, such as um, moving a twig out of the way, as committing a grievous photography sin. Um, that that depends. Um, I think it's no problem with a landscape shot. I often have to remove um, rubbish and shit out of the way. Um, that's that's okay. You've had to remove a twig. Um, I I draw the line though at things like, for example, if you have to destroy uh, nature, like you know, break off branches, that kind of thing. That's a bit no go. <laughs> yeah, I just break down. No, no, I've I've um I've seen that happen. I mean, uh, oh in in uh, even in underwater photography, I've seen guys do stuff like you know, move bits or break bits of coral and stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a thing with uh, with some of the underwater photography forums, like you know, seeing certain photographers, whatever nation they're from, um, just have no sense of i guess ethical concern about you know just trying to get the shot just i don't know disturb a fish or you know prod a fish or um destroy some coral or whatever um so yeah a bit more education needs to be in that field um, get, a, get a shot to attack another uh another diver just for that shot what <laughs> one day <laughs> <laughs> details on this episode can be found on soundcloud under life of the jet as well as on the jetaainternational.org website Subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you have a story to tell, please email me at info at jetaansw.org.